Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,324. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Providence, Rhode Island, a beautiful city where my son went to college, so I know it quite well, with a very special guest by the name of Andy Chatham. Andy, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I am, and, and thanks for having me. You bet. We're going to have some fun here. Now, before I introduce you, we dive into this new company you're a co-founder of. What's one little thing that people don't know about you, Andy? Well, I've lived all over the place and I've, I've spent a lot of time in my you know first part of my career, first 10 years, saying yes to lots of different opportunities that have taken me to live in a bunch of different cities in the U.S. I have been in upstate New York and in Ithaca, New York. I've um, lived in Las Vegas for three years. I lived in Washington, D.C., New York City, Bay Area, Los Angeles, and now I've come back home to, to Rhode Island where I, I live now and very frequently travel to Detroit and in New York as well. So I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. And yeah, most people don't know that about me, but I guess if you, if you spend a lot of time with me, it becomes pretty obvious that I, I like to move around a lot. Yeah, I guess so. Now, when you say back home, is Providence kind of where you grew up? Yeah, I went to high school in Southern Rhode Island and oh, okay. most of my family lives in, in the area around here. It's a beautiful area. I got to know it, as I said, when my son went to school there at RISD, and uh, we would go back and visit. And uh, yeah, really unique part of the world. I'd never been there before. Uh, very old compared to yeah, the out sure. west here, you know? Uh, out yeah. here, anything's older than 50 years, you think it's ancient. But uh, back there, uh, some pretty cool deals. So good to have you here. Well, let me give you an introduction. Andy Chatham is the founder and co-CEO of Demo. Demo helps you get more from driving. It saves you money and teaches you how to better take care of your vehicles. You'll contribute to the future where driving apps work for vehicle owners, not the companies that build them just by sharing your data. Andy has worked in the mobility industry for 10 years overseeing some of the largest autonomous and electric vehicle fleets and developing software used by millions of passengers. Before Demo, he managed a team of hundreds of people working on Waymo, Google's self-driving car division. He's also worked in many other areas of mobility, assisting transportation and real estate partners in leveraging emerging technology and deploying mobility as a service solution. We'll learn a lot more about Andy and Demo, but first a word from our sponsors. So give them a little love. They keep the petrol in the tanks or the charge in the batteries, depending on what you're driving, and we'll be right back. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up, way up, but my usage was the same, and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collector's Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collector's Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866 224 
888-900-9324 and protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Did you know that Cars Yeah! is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership according to Lipson, the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States? That's right. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah! is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars yeah has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars yeah every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark at carsyeah.com or through the website at carsyeah.com today to learn more. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. So, Andy, before we get into Debo and what you're doing there, I wanted you to take us on this little bit of walk, or maybe it's a longer drive. Maybe it's an autonomous drive, and we're in the backseat just chatting while the car takes us wherever we want to go, about your history in this world of autonomy, because you're now you're in Demo, and we're going to learn more about it, but it uh, seems like there's a relationship to automobiles here in your past. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and I've always considered myself very much a mobility person, and you know that kind of sits alongside the, the automotive world. And I'm, I'm, you know, did not grow up as as a car person. I've come to love them a lot more. Really getting into the weeds on Demo in the last couple of years, but yeah, I spent, you know, I had a very interesting opportunity early in my career to start thinking about mobility a little bit differently. I was working on a real estate project that grew out of Zappos.com, a you know, subsidiary of, of Amazon mm-hmm. in, in Las Vegas, where we were re- redeveloping a huge piece of land in, in downtown Vegas and thinking pretty deeply about what new mobility offerings would would bring to uh, master plan real estate development and got to build electric vehicle charging infrastructure and shared bike systems and work with Tesla to build one of their supercharging stations in, in this area that, that we were focused on and, and got to look into what autonomy and electrification were going to do to transportation back in you know, 2012 to 2013 when everything was you know kind of still up in the air and now it seems fairly obvious that, that these things are going to impact the future in a pretty significant way no but yeah yeah that, back then it was it was um you know, a little bit more of a, a, you know, kind of Wild West, like science project phase. And I went to go work for a company called Transdev, which is you know, a large mobility services company that operates public transit systems and, and built a business there helping autonomous vehicle companies scale up their operations. And that's how I got plugged in working on, on the Waymo project in California. I actually never worked at Waymo, but we were one of their you know, largest service providers. And I was responsible for the team that was doing you know, calibration and, and on-road testing for trucking and, and the robo-taxi service that they're, you know, launching and operating in, in several cities now. And so really got to see the bleeding edge of technology and and some of the challenges that happen when you try to scale up to 
hundreds of vehicles from you know, dozens or you know the test the test fleets that were you know, around in the in the early days, and that has informed a lot of the strategy and 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 what we're working on today at Demo. Wow, fascinating! Uh, so you are one of these people working on this stuff back when the rest of us are going autonomous. What electric? Yeah. Huh? Uh, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. You were guys in the background making this all gel because there's so many moving parts of this thing and so complex. And being in Las Vegas, I had a guest on the show from a company called Halo, where you summon a Halo car that drives to you with nobody in it. You get in it and drive around and you just park it and leave and it goes back. Yeah, to the- yeah, it's I know those I know those guys um, and, and went to go visit them when we were in town for CES. And I absolutely love what they're doing. I think, you know, the the insight they have around the first and last mile of a trip, and that is much easier to automate, particularly when the vehicle is empty, is something that I, I think is really powerful. And we need more people working on alternate approaches and, and you know technologies that can enable the kind of things that, that they're they're working on. Pretty cool. And and uh, for you listeners who missed my talk with Anand, go back and listen to that show. It's quite fascinating, the fact that they're doing that today. But let's migrate now into Demo. Can you explain to the listeners and educate me some more, what is Demo? Why, as a co-founder, are you or have you created this business? And what is it going to do for us? Yeah, so so Demo is is actually an acronym. It stands for Digital Infrastructure for Moving Objects. And okay, there you go. That's reflective of the fact that you know we we look at what we're building as a platform for connected vehicles. We think it's really the first open connected vehicle platform, which means that anybody can integrate any device into it if if they want. So typically today that's cars. Cars are just the biggest category of of IoT devices out there. And then once those devices are connected to the platform, you can build any kind of app or service or integration that uses the data from those cars. And users are able to stay in control of their data and how it's used the entire time. So we've been working on this for about two years and we have over 12,000 cars connected to the network today. So it's about you know, $300 million worth of cars streaming all of their data into this platform. And, and users are starting to share that data with folks that can provide them cheaper financing, cheaper insurance. We have people interested in building games on top of the platform for road trip tracking or you know racetrack data collection. And, and really anything you can imagine that would use data from, from cars can, can be built on top of Demo. And we think it's really important that users and fleet owners stay in control of the data from their cars because we've seen how important that data is going to get as the cars start to do more and, and are basically turning into you know computers on wheels. And so, yeah, as the, the cars integrate deeper into the electric grid and start driving themselves on the highways, we have you know a bunch of plans for how Demo can you know fit in and, and help that world be a little bit more pleasant and enjoyable to live in. So it sounds like to me, Andy, you have spent a much of your career life living in the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That that definitely is is something that anybody who who knows me pretty well would would say. Uh, a big part of Demo is is trying to like bring that future to the everyday consumer and make it so that you know you have an app for your car and it's something that's useful and it's kind of like running in the background and helping you out with your life. We look at a lot of what we're doing as bringing the you know potential benefits of future technologies to everyday people and making it so that it's something that you know doesn't make their life worse <laughs> because I've seen you know a lot of people get really excited about new technology but it actually ends up making people's lives more inconvenient or you know reducing their privacy or, or something like that well you touched on a couple things there and I want to dive a little deeper into this uh, let's talk first about the word data and acquiring data and controlling data because that's one of the things that scares people lots of times and yep 
this day and age, we all have to be so careful because there's these other people out there that love to get their hands on this stuff and do stuff to us. And it, it becomes quite frightening quite often. You Sometimes I want to just say, I'm just going to back off all this because... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's start there because that's probably the most negative, but it's also the most positive about what you're doing. But let's start on, you mentioned early on, people control their own data. So let's just talk, let's say me, I'm your average car guy. Well, I'm maybe yep. not average because I'm a car fanatic, but a car person. What are some ways that Demo can help me and at the same time protect me from people getting a hold of everything about me? Yeah, so there's a lot of ways in which we see the automotive world generally kind of pit itself against the consumer. And, you know, when you're getting a loan or a lease for your vehicle or buying an insurance or, you know, warranty product, generally you're coming into that transaction without as much data as, as you could. And, and, you know, your negotiating position is kind of dictated by that. So one of the most immediate ways is, you know, showing up to a transaction with your data already in, you know, your own personal vault and being able to provision access to it to, to service ah, providers allows okay. you to get better prices for things that you're spending lots of money on. And um, that also extends into the used car market as well. So if you've sold a car you know, to a dealer or you know, done a private sale before, you probably know that showing up with more data about that car is better if you have the Carfax, if you have all of the maintenance history, if you can show like you've taken care of the car properly, you're going to get a better price. And so oftentimes what we see in, in these you know, very simple transactions is that Consumers are getting hurt because they don't have access to the data and they're transacting with businesses that have all of the data about whatever it is they're selling or buying. Right. So that's kind of like the first step right there. And the second part of the equation when it comes to car data is that most cars that are coming off the production line today are already connected to the Internet. And by opting in and using the services that come with that car, you're actually giving the OEM the right to use the data from that car for whatever they want. And sometimes they're doing things with that data that you might not like as a, as a consumer. And so one of the you know, big things about Timo is that we're trying to provide an alternative where you can still have the benefits of a connected car, but you get to decide here's the data I share and with who. So you're not locked into a finance product or an insurance product from the OEM that that made your car just because they have all of the data. You can go and, and bring it to the market and, and get a better offer and, and have that be something that's very easy to do and, you know, really, you know, something that kind of sits below your, the waterline in terms of, you know, you, you having to manage it actively. I see what you're saying. So let me pick on one company here, Carfax, for example, which is kind of the old school way of knowing something about a vehicle. The challenge with Carfax, and I did an example, I have a car, I've, well, all my cars now I've owned since new and they, I've had them a long time. Yep. I went and just did Carfaxes on them and they weren't accurate. Because I've owned the car the whole time. And so I'm like, why is this not accurate? Well, talking to my service provider, well, could have entered something wrong. Yep. It said it had more owners than it's had. And I'm like, that's not true. I've been the only owner since the beginning. Yep. Why is that? I mean, so you start to go, oh, so someone buying my car that said, well, you said you're the first owner, but it says there's two owners here. What gives? So this yeah. way I can control that information. Now, that makes sense. And I love that. Now, how do do I as a consumer get protected from somebody putting false information <laughs> into that, you know, to be, uh, let's say, not so honest? Right. And, you know, with with a system like Carfax, I mean, they've done a pretty incredible job of building 
kind of like the default standard. It's sort of like Google, you know, like it's like it has its own, um, you know, the word, their brand has its own meaning at this right. point. Yeah. And yeah, like um, Kleenex that people, or some of the right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah. And, and, you know, auto check exists and, and does a very similar, you know, thing. And, you know, one of the things that, that we've seen is, and, and, you know, we've, we've talked to some folks at, at Carfax before and kind of are wrapping our heads around, you know, how, how that, you know, demo is an open platform, right? So if they wanted to integrate and allow people to share data from their cars and, and you know, improve their Carfax report, that would certainly be possible and and not something that we're you know against as front like on a philosophical level but yeah i mean at the, at the end of the day a lot of these systems that produce identities for things like cars are relying on human inputs and yeah. the owner of the vehicle is not incorporated into that process as much as they maybe should be and so you know we we look at this as giving people the opportunity and the ability to kind of build their own digital twin of their vehicle that can then be used for a variety of different purposes and incorporating in data sources from car dealerships or the DMV is a really big one in terms of, you know, title and registration, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, insurance companies proving that the car is insured is a big deal when you're going to buy or sell it. And, you know, having that be a much more permissionless and open system, I think will ultimately benefit consumers quite a bit. And one of the areas that we think, you know, will also is sort of non-obvious at the beginning is that it will allow people to start to develop apps and services for cars much more cheaply than they they otherwise could have. Uh, and that's something that's really been kind of holding innovation back in, in the industry quite a bit because, you know, it's sort of like we're in the flip phone era of cars still. We're like, <laughs> yeah. you know, you get a car and you, you get a car and like it has, you know, sort of all of the, the apps and services it'll ever have. And like, if you want to add something to it, like maybe it gets an update, you know, every quarter or so, but you, you can't just like start writing an app that, that runs on, on the data from that car. And so we're trying to really bring it into kind of like the Android and, and iOS era. And we look at at demo is kind of like you know an operating system for cars that that is open and allows people to have this permissionless innovation environment. And if you wanted to build a better competitor to Carfax or, or help them improve their service, it would make it much easier to do that. Well, the other part of it you mentioned early is the fact that cars today are computers on wheels. And so the cars are keeping track for us of a lot of things. A, a good example is when you buy, let's say I love Porsches. So when you go to buy a yeah. newer Porsche, you can plug that thing in and see if it ever has had any over revs on the engine. Yep which you would never know until you do that and you go, ah, okay, this could be causing a problem. Uh, older cars, of course, we don't have that, but moving forward, as you live in the future, Andy, you're the future, I'm going to call you future man Andy from now on. <laughs> um, the fact that cars will be recording this for us so that, again, we know more of what uh, we are getting, which is always always a good thing. And the record keeping uh, doesn't rely on humans. The car just does it. So you just kind of plug it in. And like I have a, a, a nephew that works for Tesla, he used to work for Volkswagen, mm-hmm. and he does all all of his work from home on a computer, even when people need help fixing their cars. And for being a mechanic guy like me way back, you know, turning wrenches, this is such a foreign concept. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying sure. to learn it to get around it. But uh, you young you young folks are helping us older guys figure this all out. So we appreciate you very much. I love it. Demo, I'll make sure to put a link to Demo's uh, website so you can go and read more and learn more about what they're doing. I like to ask people about what are driving inspirations, people that are mentors or influential in your life. You've no doubt worked around a lot of very smart people. Is there somebody that stands out for you that was quite helpful in your career as you were rising? Yeah. I mean, I've been very lucky to have really only 
two or I guess three jobs in college. I ran a moving company um, for a couple of years. And um, when, I, when I graduated, I worked at, at this company that kind of spun out of, of Zappos, which had a very unique organizational culture and, you know, had this insane dedication to customer focus and, you know, had, had quite a unique company culture. And, and I was really fortunate to work with a bunch of people there that, you know, I didn't realize it at the time because it was my first job out of, out of college, but, you know, was, was exposed to a bunch of, you know, very futuristic ideas and, and kind of like first principles thinking around how to build an organization and, and learn from some really great people there. And, and my boss, Zach Ware, um, was, was somebody who, you know, I still am, am very close with and, and, you know, is a good, you know, sort of like mentor and advisor. And then, you know, after that, when I went to work at Transdev, was, was really fortunate to have a pretty deep relationship with a lot of the folks and the, the leadership team there. And, and that was kind of like, you know, more, much more like traditional corporate environment. I got the ability to travel around a lot and see lots of different cities and, and ways of doing business, not just in, in the US, but but around the world. So, you know, the, the biggest thing for me has really been just taking in lots of different perspectives and and trying to map them to uh you know value system and and you know beliefs that that have stayed pretty consistent over time but like constantly updating the model as i get more information and meet new people and yeah a big part of that i think has been staying and and focusing on like a very limited number of things for a long period of time but you know as as you noticed pretty early on like staying very curious about the future and and what new things might be coming up next you know, one of the things that I've heard from uh, very wise people who have been very successful is when you're young, go and work for companies and you can learn what, not only what works, but more importantly, what doesn't work. And yeah. then when you go and start your own brand and are a founder like you, uh, you can implement those things and make sure you stay away from the things that you, you uncovered while you were there going, okay, don't do that. That's not right. a good way to run a company or in, encourage your uh, colleagues or employees to uh, do the things that they can do and uh, so you can get out of their way. So it sounds like you've made some very, very good moves. And best of all, like mom always said, surround yourself with great people. Uh, that's the key to success. Yeah. Yeah. And like having these very simple rules and, and principles that you can always go back to really helps with a lot of the complex decisions that you have to make as an entrepreneur or somebody who's leading an organization. And the most powerful one that I've found is customer focus and customer obsession and like always trying to put yourself in the shoes of the user if you're building software or you know, the customer, if you're, you're selling a hardware device and, you know, that, that's something that I think with pretty much every decision, like, you know, how, how does this impact the, the ultimate user and, and customer is, is really important. And you see in large organizations how the, the number of layers that you put between, um, you know, the people making the decisions and, and the customers that are impacted by them can really set up some of these kind of like corporate death spirals where, oh gosh, you know, yeah. We've all dealt with those companies and you go, have you even used your website? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, just using the product is you'd be shocked how many people work at companies that that provide some sort of consumer product or service and they themselves never use it. And so that's that's something that I've always really, really tried to emphasize. Yeah. Very important. Challenges, of course, are a big part of startups and the business that you've been involved in your entire career. That is the future and trying to figure out how things are going to work. Is there one great challenge that you faced that maybe during the time was not so much fun, but looking back? now you realize was very valuable as a learning lesson. When I started working at Transdev, we were the largest 
operator of taxi fleets in the U.S. and wow. also had an on-demand transportation. It was a, they called on-demand transportation. It was super shuttle, executive car, taxi fleets. And Uber and Lyft were just starting to get into airports. And they hired me as this you know young young guy to help you know come up with part of a strategy to make sure that the taxi business could evolve into you know something more useful. And, and ultimately, it was a very frustrating experience for multiple years trying to very classic like innovators dilemma type situation where you know these tremendously successful businesses that were still operating profitably saw this you know upstart challenger get to pretty incredible scale and and take advantage of this zero interest rate environment to raise billions of dollars and and operate largely un- unprofitably for for many years and just going through that whole experience and seeing that business school case study scenario play out in real life was was really informative because it allowed me to put actual you know, human lived experiences into these, you know, things that have before that kind of been very hypothetical. And it allowed me to see the extent to which it's really hard to, to change and, and to steer a ship in a different direction when you've been heading one way and, no and for, for so yeah. long. And, and also the extent to which you can be really, really right about one thing and wrong about a ton of other things and still be successful, which is, you know, what I'd argue that that Uber and Lyft were were quite successful in doing and and you know breaking up some of the monopolies on on-demand transportation, being much more consumer focused and like handling the payments and driver ratings and like you know the, the few things that they did get right, they got really, really right. You know, that that ultimately resulted in a huge shift. And and I think something similar, it's not going to be the exact same type of disruption. And the automotive industry is orders of magnitude bigger than the on-demand transportation industry. So like there's much more, you know, kind of like deeper societal impacts here. But, you know, certainly something similar is is coming along as we look at automation and electrification. And yeah, it's obviously something that we, we think a lot about at Demo. So it's 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 been valuable to have that experience and, and to kind of map that against the present state of reality and what might happen in the future. Yeah. <laughs> reality in the future. The two that never seem to collide. Yeah. You know, this begs me and I like to ask my younger guests this question, your opinion on the EV world. You know, this has been, it kind of feels to many people I've spoken to and myself, it's kind of be, being crammed down our throats here a little yeah. bit uh, or maybe a lot, depending on your perspective. But what's your opinion of EVs? My my opinion is that I think whenever you get into a situation where you're where people feel what you're feeling, where it's, you yeah. know, something is being forced on them, then I think, you know, you're, you're, you're running the risk of creating some, some very large unintended consequences. And I, I think about EVs, especially pure EVs. I'm, I'm in the market for a car right now, so I'm actually looking at plug-in hybrids. And I think that that's like a really, really good model, especially the plug-in hybrids that have range extender motors, which is you know kind of a technical detail, but, it, but it's something that you know I, I look at and I say, it's probably too soon to say as a society, like we should move over completely 100% to EVs. Like this is the way of the future, right. you know, connect them all up to the internet. Like we'll have them all centrally controlled somewhere so they can get all these over the air updates. And like this stuff is an application of a new technology at such a scale that is inevitably going to produce some pretty concerning un- unintended consequences. Why have all the cars under- stopped running? <laughs> right. Yeah. <And laughs> so I, I definitely worry. I, I worry about, and, and you can conflate electrification and automation and you know connected vehicle technology all together because in a lot of ways, like that is how things are, are being rolled out. And mm-hmm. like, I, I think it's quite possible that that just might be too much change all at once. Yeah, <laughs> um, feels and that's like coming it. from somebody who, you know, I'm, as you noticed, like a, a very, you know, future, future, yeah, yeah. Person. but I definitely, and, and I think 
you know, seeing how people have interacted with autonomous vehicles once they get up to scale has given me a little bit of concern around just throwing these things out there into the world and, you know, saying, okay, well, like, this is how we're going to do stuff now. And, you know, not not necessarily giving people the time or the ability to kind of provide input into how that happens. You know, transportation has always been something where, for better or for worse, and, and I think generally for better, like the government has been quite involved with, you know, building the roads and setting safety standards and, you know, setting speed limits and, and those types of things. And we really need to go through and, and kind of remind ourselves of like, what regulation is for and like when it makes sense to put your finger on the scale of something and say, hey, like we're going to, you know, make it so that people can adopt EVs faster, but they don't have to if they don't want to. And here's maybe some ways in which we're going to to help that without and, and how we're going to measure success instead of just kind of like blindly throwing money at the problem and, and hoping that it just happens. Yeah, well said. Looking into the future, maybe not too far out, although you live in the future, Andy, what's your bucket list for Demo, let's say in the next two to three years? We are in this period right now where we're growing the number of connected vehicles quite quickly. Like last month we added, you know, we grew 30% in a month or, or something like that. Oh, in a and month? Yes. So, wow. so we've, 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 you know, put this this product in place that is, is useful for, um, you know, certainly for the early adopters and, and and I think very quickly becoming more of like a, you know, kind of mass market applicable product, but but we're making it a lot cheaper to connect to or, you know, the cost of our hardware device is going down. We're integrating directly with more connected vehicles. So it's easier to start using the product without a hardware device if you already have, you know, a car that's connected to the internet. Mm-hmm. And the really exciting thing for me is now that we have that foundation in place and the network is growing and, and people are are having you know success with the product as it exists today is seeing what gets built on top of it. And we've created this from day one to be a platform and to enable new types of things that I, I think hopefully we're quite surprised by a lot of the apps and, and services that people build. And I think there's a few obvious ones like helping people save money on their insurance or getting them cheaper loans or helping them save sell their car for more money that, you know, make Demo like a kind of obvious default choice. Something sort of like, you know, Carfax or you know, Google or Kleenex where it's like, oh yeah, just put your car on Demo or else, you know, you're going to lose thousands of dollars over its, its life cycle because you, you, know, you won't have the data to make these better decisions. So, you know, getting to that point where it's like just kind of an, an obvious default, you know, really our, our goal in, in the next like three to five years and then really starting to incorporate and, and allow demo to be a tool for rolling out some of these things that we see coming like autonomy and electrification but in a way that users are actually comfortable with and they feel control over one of the things that as cars are getting over the air updates and you brought up before like you know have it having the experience of like you know sort of losing control of the vehicle because there's you know some entity in the cloud that is you know <laughs> gathering all the data from it and and like really kind of removing that from the requirement of like you know of getting a new car is is important to us and we think you know ultimately will allow automakers to focus on on what they do best which is creating really great products and delivering them to people and, and manufacturing them, but but not necessarily having to worry about, okay, you know, here's how um, we're trying to control the experience three, four, five years down the line and, and letting people kind of express their preferences and, and creativity in an open marketplace is like what, what we get really excited about. That's cool. Now, you mentioned uh, your earlier days, you weren't a lot of, a, I'd say, a car guy, but you've changed because you've been working in this industry. Is there one special vehicle in your life that you could share a little story about that has meaning to you? 
Well, I bought an 18 foot box truck when I was uh, <laughs> 18 years old and drove it from yeah, so suburban Boston up to Ithaca, New York and, and used it to uh, replace the you know decrepit old moving van. And so I, I spent a lot of quality time with that particular work truck. It was you know, a Zuzu MPR diesel. And I, I also had a 2004 Volkswagen Jetta diesel that I drove across the country multiple times. And, um, you know, it was like my first car. I bought it with all the money I made at the moving company, you know, working over the summer. And yeah. so it was like my prized possession at that point in my life. And I really ran it into the ground, bought it for like $8,000 and sold it for 800 bucks to a guy with neck tattoos, you know, like eight years later and, you know, 200,000 miles on the odometer. But I, I really love that car. And yeah, had a lot of a lot of special memories with it. Uh, I love it. We had a my wife and I. Our first car we bought was a Jetta GLI. It was an '84. We had just gotten married, and uh, it wasn't the diesel, but it was the gas. But it was a great car and uh, a lot of fun. Um, had our first child and drove on many trips in that vehicle. So uh, yeah, and I had a Volkswagen Scirocco as my first new car I bought when I was in college. So uh, VWs have a special place. I had a Gia. My uh, family we had a couple VW Bugs. So uh, nice. Yeah, they come a long way. But uh, yeah, from a 18 foot box truck to an, an 04 Jetta diesel. There's quite a stretch there. Yeah. And I went and got a 2014 Passat. I was making a little bit more money at that point, And I, you know, went and, and upgraded to the Passat and I got the diesel again. And, and that was one of the diesel gate cars. So that oh, actually, yeah. as far as, I mean, it, obviously terrible for the environment, but I didn't know it at the time. And it ended up being the only, uh, you know, profitable um, car purchase of all, of all time, I think. Uh, I guess it probably <laughs> until the pandemic, but. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, boy, that was a mess. Holy cow. When we practice to deceive the web, the, uh, the web that we build uh, sure gets us tangled a lot. Boy, that uh, that trickled into Porsche and all sorts of stuff. So what a mess. Yeah, and that, that was really one of the first incidents that I think had people thinking very deeply about the role of software in a car because ultimately it was you know a piece of software that was uh that was kind of at the more mm-hmm. whole deception there yep. um yeah that was certainly one of the the first times in which people started to think about how that you know could be used and and some of the unintended consequences there uh yeah that was shameful so well let's crawl into your head i'm a bit of a car psychologist here and this will be an interesting question for you as an emerging futuristic car guy if you were reincarnated or manifest as a vehicle. This isn't what you want to be, though. This is some kind of vehicle that relates to you as you perceive the man in the mirror. What would you be and why? Interesting question. <laughs> I, yep. I go to the Consumer Electronics Show every year. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I, it's, you know, kind of become somewhat of a car show. I mean, at least half of the- Amazing how it's emerged over time. Yeah. 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 And I've, I've watched that transition happen over the last 10 years. One of the exhibits I saw, I don't think it must have been like, you know, seven years ago or something like that. There was this I think it was Honda that created a concept of like an RV that basically just plugged into a house. And so it was sort of like an extension of your house. And it had you know, obviously like the backup battery system and the doors just kind of like opened up and you were in your living room. And then the car <laughs> was like kind of part of the house. I remember looking at that and thinking like that is one of those like things that just looks so insane and out there in the future, but also is like kind of practical and could end up sort of manifesting itself into reality. And I feel like that's, that's pretty similar to my approach as, as being a human being, which is like, I'm definitely, you know, kind of, kind of out there and, and out of the box as, as a thinker, but like generally try to be pretty practical and in, in solving problems for people. And um, yeah, when I, I, uh, I saw that question on here, that was the only thing that kind of <laughs> off the page at me. So yeah, weird, the concept, um, Japanese electric RV. You know, 
That's a very unique answer to that question. I've heard some really interesting answers to that question. Sometimes it trips people up, but that one is unique for sure. And what's intriguing to me is you think about Honda, um, I think about their uh, charging devices that you, you know, gas uh, run chargers that yeah. you see people having fun with. They carry those in the back of their electric vehicle. So if they run out <laughs> of power, they, they've got a backup. Yeah, the, the range extender motor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Honda, you know, has played a big uh, part of that. They build wonderful. Those little generators are awesome. We've used those yeah. when I was racing at the track. And yeah, yep. yeah, they're really cool. So I love it. Uh, great reading. Uh, we love to share books here. Is there a great book that you've enjoyed that you could share with us? You know, I am a, a pretty big student of history. And the I'd say as far as books that have changed the way that I think about the world, uh, The Power Broker, I don't know if you probably have gotten that answer maybe on this, uh, this podcast before, but absolutely incredible book. I would recommend it in audiobook format because it's well over a thousand pages long, but it's like, <laughs> it's a good thing to, it's, it's an incredible story about how the infrastructure that supports the automobile came to be and and obviously it's told through a very specific lens of like you know New York City and Robert Moses building over 100 miles of urban highways and and you know all the parkway systems around New York but also really influencing the design of cities around the world i think it's it's one of those stories that if you're born today and you see the highway system and, you know, other infrastructure around, you just kind of assume like, oh, it's just sort of always been there. But like people built all of those things. And it's a really incredible, I mean, regardless of what you think about the interstate highway system and like cutting highways through, you know, urban areas, which I think most people now realize had had some pretty negative consequences, sure. like just just the ability to muster up the support and willingness to to do huge projects like that is something that, you know, I think we've, we've lost a little bit as, as a society. And, and in some ways, you know, we're still able to like capture that kind of, you know, really big sort of like grand visionary scale thinking. And, and that's, you know, generally, I think what is needed in order to you know capture a lot of the, the gains from new technologies and like to really get them in, into people's hands. And, and so, yeah, that, that's a cool book that I think gives some some his, historical context on, on how a lot of the built environment around us came to be. Yeah, uh, by Robert Caro, I believe. Uh, yeah, the author of that. Yeah, book, he's so. and he's he's one of those awesome writers that took like you know ten years to to write a book and researched it so deeply. And um, there's there's an incredible. Actually, maybe secondary recommendation would be he, he wrote a book called On Writing, which is much shorter than all of his other books, but it talks <laughs> about his process. And, and that is a pretty fascinating read as well. Yeah. If you study the infrastructure of roads and things, especially go back to Europe, I mean, you go all the way back to the Romans and the roadways that they built yep. that were, I mean, oh my gosh, incredible. But if you just think about the German Autobahn and some of the details of that and how it tied into their military, the fact that they have stretches, they didn't make long straight stretches because they realized people would get bored and fall asleep and maybe speed. And instead they did these curving things, but they did have stretches where it was just long enough to, to land an aircraft. Yeah. And they were thinking ahead in that respect. So there's all these different things tied into it. And of course, our roadways and in our highways here in the U.S., which are so expansive and, and give us so much freedom to go so many places. So great book recommendation, yep. The Power Broker. Love it. So I'm an enabler here in a nice way. <laughs> I'm going to enable you to go on the ultimate drive. So I'm going to park any car you'd like in your driveway. You can take it for a drive. But here's the key. You can take anybody with you, even somebody from the past 
So, yeah, if you wanted to go for a ride with the original Mr. Tesla, you could do that as well. I mean, yeah, Tesla, Tesla and a Tesla is kind of the obvious. Um, <laughs> yeah. That, that would be that would be I'm sure you've gotten that answer before. A couple of times. Yeah. But what does the ultimate drive look like for you? Man, anybody from history? I mean, it would be pretty wild to take somebody like from very far back in, in history. Like, I don't know, you could take like like George Washington and drive him over the George Washington Bridge. <laughs> yeah. That would be pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, I guess if it was like a. a a single, I would either go extremely high tech and, and want to have like, you know, the, the kind of like latest in, in automated driving technology and like, you know, really comfortable interior, or I would go, you know, extremely manual and, you know, have, have a, a like classic, you know, stick shift, um, yeah. roadster or something. I'm not, you know, like I said, I'm not such a car guy, so I'm not going to you know spit out like the, the actual make, make model year here, but yeah, driving, driving George Washington over the, the George Washington bridge in, in New York would be, would be pretty great. Now imagine you both step into the back seat and the car drives itself over the bridge. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would knock old George's socks off. I would think, <laughs> you know, just yeah. a, a little bit. I like it. I kind of thought I'd get some kind of an answer like that from you. You've taken us on a wonderful journey, a journey into the future here, Andy. And I'm so happy that we were able to connect today. Could you leave us with some parting words of wisdom or advice? Yeah, I mean, I guess when it comes to you know what I'm what I'm working on specifically, like obviously, um, you know, I think one of the really important things for people to to take notice of and and realize today is that the data that's being collected about you can become more valuable if you have your own copy. You know, especially <laughs> with with everything that we're seeing in AI that that's developing. Like, I think one thing that's extremely clear is you know having your own copy of data about yourself and the things that you own will make these new technologies much more useful to you and also allow you to maintain more privacy and you know not have to disclose as much information about yourself with you know companies and you know whoever else might be you know trying to find out some information about you so like right. yeah, that's a very practical piece of advice is we're building something like demo in order to allow people to collect data about the most valuable asset that that they own in a lot of cases and um, to put it to work for them and so yeah just looking for for ways to do that in your life is like kind of a practical piece of advice for people when it comes to, to new technologies. And yeah, hopefully, you know, we, we can end up building some, some really useful stuff on top of that. Yeah, I think it's fascinating what you're doing. And you know, when you're saying this, obviously I realize the importance of it, but you know what comes to mind is the medical industry. I'm going to wave off course a little bit here, take a little bit of a fork. Of the oh, yeah. But the yeah, fact yeah. that we don't have access to our own medical history, at least that history that the doctor has, try to go in and ask for your files. Right. Nobody will give it to you. It goes back to an old Seinfeld episode where Elaine <laughs> has these notes that these doctors write in her files because she's a bit of a challenge. And she never quite knows what they've writing, or they're writing and she tries to steal it. And of course, they don't let her. So yep. yes, you're right. When we own our own data and we know what's been saying about said about us and our vehicles and our properties or whatever it is, uh, yeah, that's much more valuable than someone else having that information because you never know what they might have on you. So very well yeah, said. <laughs> healthier relationship with, with technology. And yeah, certainly it goes for, for medical data as well. There's a lot of interesting folks thinking thinking about solutions there. And it's, it's a much more complicated problem than it is with cars. Cars are nice because they have their own identities and... Um, a lot of this uh, data is pretty standardized in a way that that uh, health data is not. I think so. Uh, like, thanks for letting me divert off the roadway a little bit there. How can people learn more about Demo? Head over to demo.zone. It's our, our website. We have a shop. You can go purchase hardware devices to connect your car at shop.demo.zone. We have an app in the App Store. You can check it out, Demo Mobile. And then, uh, yeah, we're on Twitter at demo underscore network. And you can find us all over the internet and and reach out if um, you have questions on how to how to get your car connected or if you have an idea for an app you might want to build that runs on data from thousands of cars all over the world. 
Absolutely, listeners, you don't have to be afraid of the future. You just need to understand it before you're using. And uh, Andy and his colleagues and our friends at Demo can help you do just that. I love it. I want to do a thank you shout out to Victor and Frank at Legendary Podcast for introducing me to Andy today. You guys, thanks for bringing a, a man of the future, Andy, the future man here. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Andy, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise. Thanks for doing what you're doing, taking us into the future. Until you yeah. and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. All right, Mark. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. 20, 50, or 100 years from now, will there be a workforce to care for the collector vehicles we love? With auto shop programs disappearing across the country, it's a question we enthusiasts have to ask. That's why I support the RPM Foundation, which exists to ensure that the critical skills necessary to preserve and restore these vehicles aren't lost to time. One of the many ways RPM which is short for restoration, preservation, and mentorship, is accomplishing this goal is through workforce development initiatives. The RPM Apprenticeship Program enables the next generation of artisans to earn a living while they learn the craft of restoring and preserving these vehicles directly from industry professionals. The Endangered Skills Program documents the process of masters training future craftspeople on a variety of critical skills in danger of being lost forever. For more information on how the RPM Foundation is driving the future of the collector vehicle skills trade, visit RPM Foundation today. They're one of the charities of choice here on Cars Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!